Our Old Testament reading for this morning is not from the psalm. We're actually going to read from Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 14 through 16. Hear these words. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Our gospel reading comes to us today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. I invite you to stand as you are able for the hearing of the gospel. When he came up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on that Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. You may be seated. Will you join me in prayer? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your love, for your grace, and for your work amongst us. Lord, as we enter into this time of deep devotion and discipleship, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be attentive to you. Turn out the distractions of this day and this moment. Let all of that be silent now in your presence so that we may hear what it is you want us to hear this moment. May I become less, Lord, so that you may be more. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. No other person in human history, no other person in world history has ever made as much of a difference as this person. 
one name professed, one name, one person has stood the test of time as being the most influential in human history. More so than the one who made the bomb, more so than the one who made the light bulb, more so than the one who made sliced bread. This one person makes kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. This one person calls us to reflect upon what it means to live for him. This one person challenges us in our very basic ideas about who we are. This one person can uplift as much as challenge. This one person confuses as much as we seek to understand that person. And that one person is why we are here today. That name, that most influential name, that most influential of people, persons who's ever walked the face of this earth is that name, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. It is not hyperbole to say that he is the most influential person to ever exist. For he is the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He is why we are here. Why we sing, why we worship, why we pray. He is our everything. And yet, what is it that makes him so special to us? What is it that moves our very lives? What is it that makes us rise up and shout his name? What is it that makes us wonder what does it mean to really profess that name? What is it about him that makes people use that name for their own good? What is it about that name, Jesus? And what is that name for us here in this moment? On this day and this time when perhaps we would wish to be doing anything but listen to me ramble for 20 minutes. What does that name mean to us? In this time, in this moment. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just merely a teacher who gave some nice little statements that we've put on our shirts or on our decorative plates? Is he a prophet? Is he a priest? Is he the son of God to you? The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is he to you? For as we continue this study of the creeds, as we continue this examination of looking at what does it mean for us to confess these things we say in worship every week. Most of this creed centers upon this one man named Jesus. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully human. We profess it every week that we believe in Jesus Christ. 
We profess that he was born. We profess that he was crucified, that he died, that he descended to the dead and resurrected and that he will come again. But what is it that we say about Jesus in our hearts? For the creed gives so much of its stanzas, its prose, its understandings to this person, Jesus, because he is the center of our faith. Without him, there would be no reason for us to be here. Without Jesus, we would not be gathered for worship. Without Jesus, there would be no hope for any of us. He is the center of our lives, the center of our hope, the center of our very being. The Word made flesh who dwelt among us. Who do you say this Jesus is? This incarnate one, as we profess in the creed each week, born of the Virgin Mary, this incarnate deity, this God who came and dwelt among us. When we profess our love of the incarnation, that word that we often only reflect upon in Advent and Christmas. We think about the humility of our God to come and walk amongst us. We do not worship a God who stays in the highest of heavens and stays distant from us. We worship a God who has walked with us in human flesh humbled himself to take on our form to walk with us, to show us the way. And because he is incarnate, and not just incarnate, but perfect as being conceived by the Spirit, he without sin is Jesus. But because he has walked with us, he has felt our very struggles. He knows what it's like to walk these streets and wonder if there's anyone there. Know what it's like to have friends who have betrayed us. Know what it's like to be tempted. Know what it's like to have people fall away simply for maintaining the truth. We profess one who is humble enough to walk in our shoes and say, I've been there with you, and I am with you now. We profess one who is taught and teaches. He is the gospel, Jesus is. The gospel is not merely a a collection of words written in black and white and the occasional statement of red found in Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, the gospel is Jesus, for he is the word of God, the wisdom of God, the desires of God. When we say that we follow the gospel, we are saying we follow this Jesus who taught the way to God and what it means to truly be obedient to God. For he took the law 
and raised it to its highest level. Raised it to its highest moment. And showed us what it really means to live for God. You think it's enough just not to get to murder? Don't get angry with each other. You want to love each other? Love your enemy. Love that person you can't stand even in the church. You want to pray. Pray that God will move your feet. Be the one who walks alongside Jesus to free the captives, to set free the oppressed, to give hope to those with disabilities, to give jubilee to those who are suffering. Jesus taught in a way that calls us to a highest ethic, and when you do that, it gets people upset. Jesus taught in such a way that it upset the religious authorities, the religious elites, the people who sit in the pews and wish we would just go back to the way things have always been. They weren't happy with anyone that challenged their power, their beliefs, their attitudes, or their hypocrisy. They resented Jesus simply for preaching the word in preaching Jesus. And for that, he was placed upon a cross for what he taught, for who he is. But what was foolishness for humanity became the gift of grace for all of us. For we do not preach that the cross is just the end of a journey some tool of exclusion or execution, it is the means of grace that God used to transform the world. For this human one, this divine, fully divine, fully human one went to the cross for us to bridge the gap between us and God are those moments in which we say we can do it ourselves that we have no need of a God who calls us to a higher ethic. In those moments in which our lives fail to give honor and glory to God, it is this Jesus who stood on the cross to say, I love you. And it's this Jesus who by his death on that cross pardons each of us. To where because of Jesus, because of what he has done on this cross, God looks at you and me and all of us and doesn't see us for our faults. Doesn't see us for all those things that we have done wrong in our lives, all those things that annoy us of each other. God only sees you as a child of God and a person of sacred and holy worth because of the cross, because of this Jesus. This Jesus who went to the cross but also descended to the dead. This phrase that we say every week, 
historic in its nature, but yet confusing to many of us, so confusing that our church has said that we will not use this phrase that often. In fact, most Methodist churches don't say that phrase that is historic within the Apostles' Creed of descended to the dead because many challenge and wonder if that phrase is really biblical. Yet we look at chapters from within 1 Peter and we see that when Jesus died, he went to this place of waiting known as Sheol. The place of death. And there 1 Peter tells us that he went to preach for those who preceded him. To preach that they may know God. We profess that statement every week, that historic statement of descended to the dead to remind us of the efficiency and the efficacy of the cross. For it did not just destroy our sin, but it destroyed death. Destroyed the demonic powers of evil in this world. And so when we say that he descended to the death, he descended to the depths of evil and conquered it. Yet death, we proclaim, is not the end of this story, this savior, this teacher. For we profess that he rose from the grave, not on his own power, but that by God's doing. God raised him from the dead on the third day, and we rejoice in that, even in the middle of the season of Pentecost. Because every day is a day to celebrate that Christ is alive. He is our hope and our Lord. For at the resurrection, we celebrate that death does not win because of this Jesus. We celebrate that we can have hope because of this Jesus. We celebrate that the worst things about us are never what God sees of us because of this Jesus. And we look forward to the day in this not yet time for Jesus to return to where we can join with the saints of heaven and the saints of earth to sing that chorus of holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, this Jesus is everything. This Jesus fills all of our hopes and all of our lives. But yet, what does it mean for us to even claim this in our own lives? What does it mean for us to believe this Jesus? Why does it matter? say we believe in Jesus. Why does it matter to you or to this church? It's a question we have to wrestle with, not just on that one moment when we say, oh, we believe in Jesus. It's a question that we must ask ourselves every morning when we get up. Every breath we take and everything that we seek to do, what will we make of this Jesus? Will we place him at the center of our lives? Will we place him at the center of our 
faith? Will we place him at the center of our witness so that in all that we do, we may give him honor and glory for who he is and who he will always be? Will Jesus be at the center of our lives? The first of our many affections. Not one of many, but the first. Will he be what wakes us up? Will he be what motivates us? Will he be what guides us? Will he be what shapes us? Will he be what determines our actions? Will he be what determines how we will live in this world? Will this Jesus shape our words so that the words that we express to one another will uplift more than tear down? Will these, this Jesus inspire us to live with such a hope to where we seek to build relationships and reconciliation with one another? Will this Jesus and his teaching guide us to how to live in this fallen world so that we may express the light of Christ in all that we do? Will this Jesus shape our actions? Not just on a Sunday morning when it's easy to do because we're surrounded by everyone that's on the same page, but will it shape our actions? When we're at the store and someone's overcharging us. On the street when someone's cut us off. Or when we're in a meeting. Or in conversations. Or families and others. Will this Jesus shape who we are? Will this Jesus be at the center of our faith and our lives? Who is Jesus to you? Will you pray for me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your light, your hope, and your love, and your work amongst us. And Lord, as we lift your name up, we desire to live for you, to be centered in you, and to reflect your hope and love. Help us, Lord, to keep you at the center. Through Christ we pray. Amen.